You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey everybody, Rory O'Malley here, your host of Living the Dream. We've got a great episode for you. This is my interview with Gavin Creel. A big Broadway star, a wonderful, talented actor, and one of my closest friends. He is a great guy all around, and um, we met each other back in 2009, and when we started working on a nonprofit called Broadway Impact that was fighting for marriage equality, we started it with our friend Jenny Canellos, and. So we got to know each other really well, really quickly. When you create something like that, you have to work a lot together. And uh, it wasn't easy. And he is just so driven and positive. And um, he's the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps moving, keeps going. He, I literally, I swear he doesn't sit down. Um, but he's someone I really look up to in in many ways so it only made sense that I would talk to him about his attitude on the business and about staying grounded and happy because the guy is just a portrait of enthusiasm and positivity and uh, he's he's pretty great and for those of you who don't know who he is um, I'm sure there aren't many of you he is Tony nominated for Thoroughly Modern Millie on Broadway and the revival of Hair. He was most recently in the Book of Mormon in London where he won the Olivier Award and he also was just in She Loves Me, the production that was at the Roundabout Theatre Company recently and it was just announced today that he is going to be in the revival of Hello Dolly with the Bette Midler. So my friendship with Gavin is finally going to pay off. I'm going to meet Bette Midler, come hell or high water. This is my purpose in life. Um, I've been waiting for this since I saw Stella. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's done quite a bit and we have a very similar stories. We're both from Ohio. We're both gay boys who wound up on Broadway and he was even on the swim team in high school with my cousins. Uh, so we've got a lot of of uh, overlap in our our stories. So it, it's always great to talk with him about anything, but to get to sit down and have a nice conversation about the business and about his life in his apartment with Wally. You'll hear a lot of Wally walking around. <laughs> um, it was just really special. And and as you'll once again, this was done in January. So this was be- while he was in rehearsals for She Loves Me. And, uh, yeah, so enjoy my conversation with Gavin Creel. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hi, Gavin. Hi, Rory. Uh, we're in your apartment in New York City. I love this apartment so much. I will take it. It's yours. Thank you. That's how it works in New York. You can just have You just walk in. And take it. How many apartments in New York have you been like? Have you done that thing where you like walk into someone's place and you look around, and you go, "This is a great place," and then ten minutes after you leave the apartment, we're with your friend and you go, 
why did they decorate it like that? <laughs> and, and it's, it's like a trash it. And it's like a five bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side, and 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 you tear it apart. It's like an apartment that you could never afford, and that you just are like, oh, uh-huh. that's not at all what I would do with yeah. all that money if I yeah. had it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I'll be doing about five minutes after I leave here. No. <laughs> you bitch. You've stayed, you've stayed here, haven't you? You mm-hmm. spent the night. You spent many nights, I hope. Yeah, I think every time I've been here in the last couple years. Um, that's the I best part. That's the best part about having. Well, when I first moved to the city, this is my eighth apartment. Oh my god. Yeah, I moved eight times. I've lived. I'm going to do this for you. I, I moved to, for six weeks on the Upper West Side, it was a one bedroom given to me, like gifted to me for six weeks just to, I got on a... When you first got here? Yeah, I went, I went to a wedding in Cleveland and I got on a train and came to New York. Wow. I was 22. Just and got here this morning. I, did, I literally had two suitcases, they were Land's End embroidered <laughs> oh suitcases. God. I had 3,000 bucks, that's it. And I thought, oh yeah, this is how people do it, you know? Um, but I had, I, I went there for six weeks and then I found a, a sublet in Brooklyn on Judge Street in, off the Grand Stop on the L. Mm-hmm. I was there for like a m- month and a half because I got Fame, the musical, everybody's favorite. Live forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then after that. With Tomar, wasn't that, was Tomar in that? No, he was in Hair. I thought he was in that too. Mm-mm. There's I just a lot assume of, Tomar's in everything. Right, of course, because he is. Tomar Wilson. Tomar Wilson, everybody. Tomar Wilson. But, uh, and then I went on tour, and then I came back, and then Celia, Keenan Bolger, my bestie, and I I moved into my friend Joanna's place on the Lower East Side, and then Joanna moved to L.A., and Celia moved in. And I was there for three and a half years. Wow. Then I was on the Upper West Side with a boyfriend at the time for a year. And then I moved from there to Midtown for five and a half years. Mm-hmm. A studio, 250 square feet, easily. That's the one that I lived yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. You lived in the one bedroom. Oh, I, I know the. I know the. That's where we started Broadway Impact. That's on that floor. That that carpet. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That striped carpet. The two hundred and fifty square feet. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. it. That place. In the same building with Andrew Reynolds. Andrew Reynolds and I shared a wall. We lived next door to each other. Right. Jen Gambatis, Broadway oh. performer. She lived in there. Michael Selbach, another Broadway performer. Wow. Um, Good Dan building. Levine, Dan Lebono, Eddie Bowles from Pirate Queen. Wow. And a million other shows. That it was, it was, building is working. We called it the dorm because mm. it was just a ton of Broadway folk. Wow. Paul Kanan lived in that building. Wow. Wade Foster. I remember, I think... The first time I met you in the city, you were moving into that building or moving out of it? Oh, yeah, that was the day, yeah. And I saw Celia was with you. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's Gavin. And I knew that you were also from Ohio. I think I was moving into it and I was in deep, dis- I was in yeah. deep despair. Yeah, I, was in I know. I was up and I was in a bad, bad oh, place. I didn't, I didn't read all that. But well, I, was, yeah. I knew that you were, I just figured it was moving boxes. Yeah. Despair. Yeah. Um, which I get. Yeah, we know those things. Yeah. Those feelings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you've been in the city. When, when was that? How long have you been it, in your I life? moved to the city. I graduated University of Michigan in 1998. And then I did summer stock at my second season at Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, mm-hmm. where you went to school. Yes. At the Benham Center. Well, I go lie down, honey. Go lie down. Go lie down on your place. Gavin's big, big doggy Wally. My horse. His, on your place. His horse. Lie down. Good boy. He's having a peanut butter bone. Um, yeah, I got my I got my equity card the summer before the summer before at, my at senior year. Yeah, loved it. Oh my god, I loved it. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. And then I went back the next summer. I did a I did I played hero at North Shore. Um, and then I went and did one more summer, and then I went to a wedding. And that was it. <laughs> wow, you really have your yeah, that, your schedule. It, it, it was. <laughs> you went to a wedding. It was it. I went to then, a, a classmate's wedding. I think I sang in it. Maybe I didn't. I don't remember. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't sing in it. But I just remember being on a train next to somebody else. I, what was the kid's name? I can't. I, I thought I never forget it. And of course, I forgot it. But he was moving to the city in the same day, and we were both dr- going from Ohio on the train to move to New York. Wow. Yeah. But it's. It's, if I knew more, we didn't have the internet then, 
Mm-hmm. It was 1990. I mean, we had the internet, but we didn't it's have the it. the olden days. Yeah. There was like a hamster in a wheel turning my... <laughs> I didn't have a computer. I just got my first cell phone. Right. But it, we didn't have the oversaturation of... Or just the saturation of YouTube and videos and the accessibility to New York. Right. I remember Ragtime was... We had a demo recording of Ragtime. But, but you didn't know about it because there was no Broadway.com. There was no Broadway World. Right. You know what I mean? It was yeah, just, yeah. I remember people... I bought my tickets to see Ragtime online. Here? And it was... No, I was Toronto. visiting. It was here. It was here. But it was like the craziest thing ever to oh, buy yeah. tickets online. Oh, yeah. It was like how... I can't believe this is possible. You know, but it wasn't... there. Yeah, I mean, there were no podcasts. There was no like... Nobody's talking about Broadway. There yeah. was no... There was no Broadway. The only thing that we had in Ohio, because Gavin and I both grew up in Ohio, yep. was like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Oh, thank God for Rosie. Rosie thank O'Donnell God for was Rosie. sort of. You were in college when Rosie was on TV, right? No, you weren't. Well, I was in high school and college. I was in 1994. When did you graduate college? 99. Oh, college. No. <laughs> high, school, high school, 99. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I graduated college in '98, but but Rosie was big. Like 1995 was like yeah. when she was like, no, no, that's a lie. It was around. Yeah, it was around yeah. '97, '98, '99. Yeah, but she would she when she had Barbara Streisand on. Oh God! And she like campaigned she, for it to get her on. Yeah. For like I remember being like, I might have to write to Barbara Streisand to get her on the show. Yeah. Yeah, and and that, that was, was a big deal. But she always had Broadway. she had every Broadway show. That was the thing. It wasn't like like a lot of shows. Like you could see the hit Broadway show on Letterman, but if Rosie that, right? Rosie had the life. Rosie had. She had um, Tony Collette singing one of the solos from the Wild right. Party. Yeah, which I was yeah. like was one of the greatest things I've ever seen yeah. on stage. And she was just. She was such a, is still, but was at the time when she had her show, such a huge fan of Broadway and fed into art. But now, I mean, it's not that you don't need great shows like that, but you, you've got... There's so much access. Yeah, you've got these websites that, yeah. you know, I just watched Robert Hartwell. Do you know Robert Hartwell? He's a Michigan graduate and a really talented dancer and singer. Uh-huh. And he was in, he just, he started this thing called Broadway Quick Change, where he's going to... Broadway people's dressing rooms and doing their dressing rooms over there for them, like an oh, HGTV show. Nice. And it's he was in um he was in uh, Kelly O'Hara's dressing room, and I just thought this never when I was a kid, this just wouldn't you wouldn't get this kind of access to understanding this life and stuff. So right. I hope that it doesn't become oversaturated and people aren't like, oh whatever. Because I mean I I, I OD'd on the Sondheim. Celebration at Carnegie Hall. Right. Yeah. With that, all the those, two disc set. Yes. And Scott the, Ellis. Yeah. Directed. Yeah. Susan Stroman choreographed, which yeah. they were young. Right. You know, startups then. Paul Gemignani was the music director. Here you are. <laughs> I know. I'm in rehearsals with him today and just yeah. looking at him going, if it weren't for you conducting Patti LuPone singing Being Alive, <laughs> right. I may not have become the young. Yeah. Musical theater program. Well, hopefully more of the access will only inspire more. Mm. You know, like hopefully that's what it's going to do. Um, But let's talk about where you are right now because it's such an interesting time for you. And the fact that you just finished a job after a really long period of time and you're starting one that's a short period of time that's like a limited run. Yeah, it's weird to be in a show that you don't see the end and mm -hmm. you know that as long as you do your good job and, and the producers still like what you're doing, there isn't an end if right. you don't want it mm-hmm. to be in a show that is full of amazing people but definitely has a, it's a finite thing. Right. It's like going polar opposites on the blessed scale of being right. a performer. Right. I, so I, you just finished, just so make sure everyone knows, you just finished Elder Price and Book of Mormon after three and a half years yeah. in the role in yeah. different companies. I originated the first national tour and then they asked Jared Gertner and I, who was the co-star, to go to London and originated it there. And, and won the Olivier. I, I did. Uh, I'll say that for you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then I, was, I, I called Andy Garfino, our producer, and I was like, you know, is there any way that you and Scott Rudin, our other producer, might consider letting me come and do this? Because I, I was so proud of the work that I'd done, and yeah. a lot of my friends hadn't seen me do it. And Is there any chance I could come and do it in New York? And she's like, well, let me see. 
it's a lot of, you know, there's four companies out and there's a lot of different people who are, and then it worked out that Nick Rouleau, who was playing the part, mm -hmm. wanted to go to London for a year and they sort of swapped, swapped him out and yeah. he's coming back now. So I just, I never thought, I've never done, have you ever done, what's the longest run you've done? Two years of the Book, Book of Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> Which looks like nothing now. People have been there for all five, I but. I know, I know. Yeah. But at the time, you, you did it. It's like a. Yeah, it's it's the most challenging part. I mean, you 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 the challenge wasn't like uh, learning the show or doing the material. The challenge is getting to show five hundred and seventy one, and thinking how am I going to get to five hundred and seventy two without going a little crazy. Did you Did you feel that? Oh, did I go crazy? Yeah, yeah, you did. absolutely. I kept I kept hitting walls, and I would have to what like were, say what were some of them? Because I I had the same. I would hit walls where I would be unsure on stage what the material was, yes. what my lines were, yes. and I would have to literally go over my lines before every scene, before I went on, walked on stage, I would have to go over the choreography because it starts to become such a part of you that you don't even know that yeah. you're doing something. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, if you haven't done a long run, people don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, I it's not something you, could, I you can't be taught it. You can't no, you learn can't it until it, no. it happens. Mm -hmm. I had the exact same thing. Also, people, but I, I, didn't, I didn't find myself going nuts as far as the show itself goes because I kept myself really busy within the company off stage. Like, tiny ways of just getting to know what was going on in the lives of the my crew members or right. my dresser or I, I throw parties like Chris O'Neill and I on Broadway would throw a party a month and it became like we started to grow this this creature within the company that was sort of pointing towards the next party because I knew I'll go crazy if I don't have something to look forward to right. and and I also planned my vacations mm -hmm. deep enough in the contract that I knew in about Four more months, I'm going to Turks and Caicos with my family for right. 10 days. And then two months after that, I'm going to go to Hawaii by myself. Right. Like, but I hadn't been on a vacation up to that point for years. Yeah. Come on, honey. Come over here. Come over here. I mean, I like Wally tapping in the background. Is that okay? It's fine. If he taps yeah, we lie like... down, honey. You lie down. Lie down. Good boy. Good boy. How how much does Wally weigh? Eighty five pounds. What? Yeah. He's part that's, horse. That's part demon. Part demon. Yeah. But he's, he's been with you through it all. I got him on September eleventh, two thousand and eight. Wow. Yeah, that's his adoptive birthday. I think he's like he was ten weeks old when we got him. Oh my God. If you ever get a dog, yeah, don't do it alone. It's so much work. It's so hard. Or if oh you're gonna God. do it alone, get an adult dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know, because you had, I remember you walking that dog, and it was so, so little and so cute, and then it had those big paws, and I was like, oh, oh my God, massive. that dog is going to be so big, and yeah. 80 pounds. Yeah. But you know what? You have, like, given this dog the best life in the world. That's uh, the You've key done... word in that phrase is life. Life. He, I a life. let him have life. <laughs> had, yeah, that's a <laughs> life. There are days when I'm like, you should be dead. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely been a challenge. Yeah, but you have worked well with him, and he was there at the very beginning of Broadway Impact. Yes, he was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do people know on your website what Broadway Impact is? Oh my God, they so they totally. I, know. I bet they do. No, you know, Gavin and I started Broadway Impact together uh, with our friend Jenny Canellos to get the Broadway community motivated and take action on marriage equality. And can you, it started. Can you, can you believe it? I know. I can't. I know. There's still times when I. Well, you know when it comes most apparent to me now of like the accomplishment that the nation and the president and us in a very small but mm -hmm. but potent way. Mm -hmm. um, we, when you listen to all these douchebags on these fucking debates, mm -hmm. talking about the world and politics, and no one's talking about gay rights. Right. Because it's not a fucking politicized right. issue anymore, and people right. don't need to to come down on a side so that their constituents or their or their lobbyists or super PACs or whatever are will or won't support them. Right. They the sky be... hasn't fallen. We yeah. can get married. Yeah. And you it's and your not... husband are married happily. Yeah. And right. guess who didn't lose their rights to get married happily? All right. the straights and 
Mm-hmm. Whoever else wants to get married, I don't know what are the options there are. <laughs> Transsexuals, bisexuals, gays, all of us yes. allowed. All of us allowed. Yeah. But the the this winter of we were just talking about this in the winter of tw- two thousand and nine, upstate mm-hmm. in a cabin in Seven the woods, years ago. trying to birth an organization. Yeah, we had um, a meeting in upstate New York mm-hmm. in a cabin, and we got there and. The pipes had frozen, yeah. so there was no plumbing. And somebody so, had turned the heat off. Somebody had turned the heat off. It was colder inside the it house. Colder, it was. And I don't know. How, I still don't know how that's possible. It was though. But it definitely was possible. I think it's because the house was dark, and outside it was still light out, oh, and the yeah. snow like yeah. made it warmer. Inside it was in an ice box. Yeah. I remember having my shoes off, and I couldn't keep my feet on the ground because the floor was so cold. Wally went upstairs and peed on the floor and it froze. Like it peed, <laughs> and I was like, oh crap, he peed and I went up to go clean it up and it was crystallized. And he's still here with us. Yes, still God, here. God bless still you. Here. God bless Wally. Um, but yeah, but that was where we started. I mean, nothing was easy actually in starting that Broadway Impact. But you know what? The greatest thing, better than marriage equality, yeah, better than marriage equality, which I don't think there is anything really truly better. But better than that was it, I have in my soul a life example, like a core life example of the phrase that you hear in Hallmark cards and people in like after school special movies and whatever, but that if you have an idea mm-hmm. and you just put the work in to try to make something come of it, you can, you can do anything with that idea. Everything starts with an idea, right? And... And um, that, that, I, I wish people could have been in that room with us, in that, in that studio, in that mm-hmm. place upstate, because we... And see we, how little we knew, we knew or how nothing. we didn't have any idea what we you were had doing. A, you had a much deeper understanding of the political system than I. Mm-hmm. You and Jenny both were de- definitely more connected and more, um, you had campaigned for Obama, you had um, got, just gotten more involved in the system. I was just angry and one realized it's time to do something for gay rights and um but, but we didn't but none of us you know even though i had some kind of experience volunteering and and you know knocking on doors making phone calls i didn't know i was always told what to do yeah this was very different because it felt like we were supposed to be the ones to tell people in our community what to do and and i didn't know how to do that but i have to say and this isn't i'm not trying to sound arrogant here but there was a vacancy in that role within our community. Everybody needed, had good intentions. Everybody right. supported us. But there's so, only so much energy and only so much time you have in the day. Right. Somebody needed to stand up and go, hey, guys, come over here and do this. Right. And we found, I know you've felt this, but we found that the minute we did it, 800 people came. Okay, yeah, what do we do? Right. As soon as, as soon as you say, like, okay, I'm going to take the responsibility of leading us down some path. I don't know what it's going to be, but, you know, follow me. Let's go. And, yeah, of course. It, but that's why I think it started and why it happened. And the success of Broadway Impact wasn't because we knew what we were doing. It's because we knew that there was a passion yeah. and a drive in our community that wasn't being tapped into to... to do something about this issue yeah and that was very unique that there was like gays and straight people working together on a very you know everyday basis that were very very close and that wanted to do everything they could to make this happen mm-hmm. because when we met with those other organizations the marriage equalities the mm-hmm. the Freedom, other Freedom you know the big, yeah like yeah. they all were so so um happy that we were coming to meet with them Mm -hmm. and they said just do what everybody else is doing and we realized they were not tapping into the potential of what the theater community was capable of and what were we capable of was examples of what Broadway Impact did right well rallying the people to come you know putting putting what 1500 people on buses Uh to go to DC DC and to shut down 6th Avenue and have a rally that ended up having the mayor and the governor come speak at and then obviously in the end eight and and the doing play. The, the play dust lamps and again that, that 
for whoever's listening to this, that whole play was your idea. You, you, <laughs> not the, 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 I'm just saying the idea mm. that, that my point of it, it starts with an idea. You had an idea. Right. If they're not going to let cameras inside the courtrooms, mm -hmm. we're theater people. Why don't we write a play based on the transcripts? Right. And then it, from there it grew. Well, what if, and what if, what right. if we commissioned one of our great theater playwrights? What if we found somebody who was in the film community? What if we, one of the what ifs for us was, what if Brad and Angelina would be in this right. play? We laughed, but they were ideas. Right. And there's no coincidence. Brad Pitt right. played the judge yeah. in um, the L.A. reading of yeah. it. And that, we didn't do that by ourselves. My no, God, it no. for the American Foundation for Equal Rights and Adam Umhafer and Chad Griffin and mm -hmm. uh, Dustin Lance Black and yeah. Rob Reiner. I mean... No, that would have happened. We, we, but we knew where to go. I think again, it was like once we decided that's what we would do next, and we approached them. They said that actually is a really good idea. Yeah, you know, Just clearly we have the resources to make that really special. Yeah, and it, but you know, it's funny to say that now in one com conversation here, and then look back years. at the years, years, years it took from an idea to you know, what it turned into was this huge uh, benefit in New York and Los Angeles with all these movie stars. And then uh, a couple of years of productions all across the world, 500 or so, oh, yeah. all 50 states. And in different countries. Different countries, different translations. But it was an idea in an apartment in New York City. One right. idea. Right. I mean, I, I guess it, it's easy to, to look back on anything, any, anything that's happened in our lives. The Book of Mormon has affected both of our lives in such a mm -hmm. positive way. Right. I didn't. I saw you in previews. Right. I never thought it would be a part of my life. Right. Ever. I thought I'm just watching my friends right. kill it up here in this extremely inventive and provocative and important musical. Mm -hmm. And just to think that oh gosh, Roy O'Malley would be at my last performance in the Book of Mormon when yeah. I was in New York. You know. Yeah. I just. I, we can't ever know. That's. What, I guess the older I, I'm going to turn forty this year, mm -hmm. and I think my best lesson or my best. Sometimes people, you know, I ask people always ask you, what's, what advice would we give to young performers? It, uh, it's not advice, it's just the best lesson that I know of myself is as far as the professional life, and now more personal too, but professionally, it's just going to work its way through your, your life if you stay out of your way. Mm -hmm. And you just f follow your ideas, follow your bliss. Joseph, Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. If you're truly waking up and you're going, oh, what do I really get excited about today? We were fucking excited about oh yeah about getting involved. We were yeah. excited about going down to the LGBT center, which I'd never been to, and I had mm. been technically knowing I was a homosexual since right. I was twenty. Right. And I was thirty what thirty three years old now. Right. I thought I've never done anything for this community. Like, I don't know. I just I feel I feel so grateful, and I'm sitting in this. And I'm looking on the wall, and there is, in a frame on the wall, there is a cardboard sign that says Equality Now that I had professionally framed by Eddie Bowles um, in Denver, um, who was in the dorm with me. But that was a sign that I got at Good Morning America when Hair performed at 5.45 in the morning for the summer of like this Love Inn in the park. And they had all these signs, and there was this busted little cardboard sign and I loved it, and I took it with us to Washington when we marched, and I have taken it to rallies and all over. And when we were getting closer to getting that vote to happen, I called Eddie and I was like, we don't have the vote yet, but I want you to frame this because I think mm -hmm. we're going to make history. I put that on the wall before we did, hmm. and then shortly after we did. But I'm, just, I'm so proud Thanks. to have met you and know you, and I suppose we jerked off enough right now. All yeah. Well, I think that, like, um, what... So what I always kind of relate Broadway Impact to when I try to talk to other actors is the fact that what you just said, that it was something so exciting that I was passionate about that had mm. really nothing to do with going to an audition or, you know, trying to... It was the first time I let myself stray from that laser beam focus I had of being an actor. Which you and need I was, to have. Which you which need to have. Which is important. It is, but... There, it was the first time I allowed myself to be fully committed to the, a passion for something else. And can I ask you two questions? Did the other 
train that was full speed ahead and only going one direction? Did it derail at any point? You know, your laser beam focus. Did you lose your passion in theater? No, no. I think that it was, it saved it because yeah. I think that, you know, it, it was definitely at a point where I could have really walked away thinking this is not a life that is, uh, has enough to it. Because thinking you have to be all or nothing, you have to be completely obsessed with what is what the business is and, and what's going you know, on, what's going on, and, yeah. or you're not going to get ahead. Uh, it was basically me saying I'm going to let myself just do anything and see what happens, and it wasn't easy. But yeah, no, it it didn't just uh, it, it it didn't only do the opposite of what I thought it was going to be, which I thought I was just going to like really, you know, I was going to miss auditions. I was going to miss opportunities. No, it was the opposite. Yeah. I, I felt like I had so many more and I had passion and a fire in my belly for everything in life, yeah. you know? So I always, I try to relate that to other actors when I'm talking to them that you need to find those other things. That don't involve auditioning or music or choosing, like it, it, that sit outside of our business and right. what we do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you're pursuing, like, I'm a musical theater performer, and I, I am passionate about and love the musical theater, I think when you're, if you're fortunate enough to go to a university or a conservatory or a school that studies musical theater, you're sort of forced to diversify immediately, whereas if you go, I know, I know within acting you can classic or, or contemporary or... American classics or British classics, whatever, but it's pretty much you're going to be an actor. The minute you drop into a musical theater program, you got to dance, you got to sing, you got to act. You have to you have to learn to do all of them as best you can. Mm -hmm. And what I love about being a musical theater performer or majoring in it is that in that diversifying, a lot of people find, oh, you know what? I love dance, and I actually love watching dance, and I'm actually started a blog and started talking about the dance because I grew up dancing and now I'm reviewing it and critiquing and all of a sudden you're like one of the New York Times dance critic and you started off, it's to not get such a myopic view on your life that it has to be this or nothing. Right. It can't, if you stay fluid and stay light about your passions, but if you're not excited about dance, if you want to be a performer, you got it, you got it. You are the cream of the crop example you didn't tap dance and you got into tap class and there you are turning <laughs> right. it off every night. Right. But like, it only makes you richer as a person and a performer and having a life experience of, I went into a tap class and I didn't know what the mm. hell I was doing and now I'm, yeah, I know what a shuffle ball changes or whatever. Mm. But let's say that's not your true passion. Your passion is playwriting or mm. singing or acting or whatever. I think the easiest way to for me to say it is go back to that Joseph Campbell, like follow your bliss. Mm -hmm. If you're waking up and you're doing what you think someone else presumes to be the right choice for you, or what is, if there's a right and a wrong, which I don't prescribe to at all, not in this business anyway, then you're living someone else's path, not your own. If you're getting up and going, well, I really should be doing X, Y, or Z, but I really want to, why waste one more second doing what you think you should be doing? Because that's what somebody else has probably told you. You really should be, mm -hmm. you know. That said, when you're in an ex educational environment and you're going to learn, there's a, r a routine set for your greater good that you don't understand. When right. I came from Finley, Ohio, and I was 18 years old, I didn't know what was going to make me a great mover weller or, <laughs> you know, or, or be able to belt. Or what's, what's the difference between my chest voice and a falsetto or a men's head voice or whatever? Then I have to swallow my ego and go, okay, you all know more than I do, so I'm going to learn and I'm going to... But then at the end of it, you start to have to make decisions for yourself, right? Right. I have to figure out, what do I really... What do I, what do I love? What do I want to be doing? And thank God I found writing music, writing songs. Thank God I found passion with you and in getting politically active and understanding that, oh, there's a voice I can use that... I don't have to betray my performing voice. I don't have to lose myself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, get Well, excited. let me ask you in that vein, like, do you think your priorities in life have changed from when you got out here, when you moved out in here, when you started in this business, to where they are now? Yeah. 
How so? I, I don't obsess about this business as much as I used to. Mm. Yeah, when I got here, I think I've always been a kind person. I think I've definitely probably rubbed people the wrong way along the way. I've definitely rubbed people along the wrong way along the way, but I've tried to either remedy it or, or, or just go, okay, I screwed up with that person, but I'm going to do better next time. And then I'll make new mistakes. But I think when I first started, I had a, I had a dream of getting on Broadway. I got lucky because my dream of who hasn't been a musical theater and watched the Tonys and I dream of getting nominated someday, I dream of winning someday. You practice a speech, you think about what you would say. I won a Tony, but I have been fortunate enough to win an award in front of some people. Um, and with, with Britain. Uh, Britain and, the people yeah, or yeah, Britain. The British people. <laughs> um, but like, but, but my dream, all but winning a Tony, came true in my very, like, I wanted to be on Broadway, right. I wanted to eventually play a lead on Broadway, I wanted to play a lead in a new show, I wanted to be nominated someday, all of those thinking, people are in 16, 17 Broadway shows, that may happen in the next 10, 20 years, it may never happen, but I had almost all of them except for winning happen in my first show, and it was completely overwhelming for me and it forced me to go you need to get some new dreams because mm -hmm. I didn't dream much past that right and I then I just was paralyzed with fear for probably 10 years paralyzed with fear for 10 years why Be because because when you have something you want mm -hmm. when I when I have had something I want out in front of me mm -hmm. it gives me a reason to get up in the morning mm -hmm. and to go after it but when that thing that I've been going after finally happens or happens suddenly, or I'm blessed with happening, and I'll tell you what I discovered was, yes, it was great, but it wasn't everything. Mm -hmm. And yes, I was still struggling with, you know, singing properly or getting sick, or I was still struggling with being happy in my personal life, or I was still struggling with a breakup, or falling in love, or not being able to get a date, or getting a date. I was still struggling with lactose intolerance. I was still struggling, you know what I mean? Like, life. Getting, yes. With a myopic view on, I just want to get to New York and I'll be on Broadway, mm. it doesn't fix everything. You get it, and then it looks at you and goes, okay, so now what? And yeah. I, hi, Wally. And I just, I guess I, that was a blessing for, to get all those things so quickly, because then I had to re readjust my priorities. Right. And, and I had to mess up for a while and, and go, okay, live fast and wild and try to like, okay, I need something else. And realizing that your happiness is not something you can get outside of you. It's something that, f it's fleeting. Every once in a while you just have bursts of happiness. But to, I saw this quote on the side of a bicycle tire in London last year when I was doing Mormon. And it said, the pursuit of happiness is the one sure route to unhappiness. Hmm. To, to try to find happiness is, is, there's no such thing as the pursuit of happiness. Right. Oh no, there's no such thing as happiness. And, and, and he went further, this quote, was that like, stop trying to be happy and just see that what you have right now is actually enough. Right. I think the thing I would change the most is be fine with where you are now, 25-year-old Gavin. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're, I mean, I wish you, I could that's been... what you could say to, to Gavin. Yeah. At 25. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sitting in this incredible apartment that thanks to the jobs that I've had and my parents teaching me how to save money. Mm -hmm. And being able to work in the Book of Mormon for three and a half years, let's be honest, has been able to afford me a moment to buy my first apartment in New York. I love this place, but I'm telling you, and you were there, I had everything I needed in 250 square feet on a noisy 9th Avenue with, there was nothing there. I had, right. I had a bed, a tiny couch, a bookshelf. Yeah. I didn't have a TV, but whatever. Like, if you can, that was the greatest gift New York has given me of like if I can find happiness there, everything else is icing. This apartment's awesome, but whatever, you know. I think, and I and and just like we couldn't have done Broadway Impact on our own, and we didn't do a Broadway Impact on our own, I couldn't have, I couldn't be this confident or this happy or this if it weren't for you and Jenny and Celia and Catherine and Melody and my my friends in my life. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have those people. I would have moved. I would have dropped out of the business ages ago. So you, it's like really the, the support system oh, yeah. of With people. That, yeah. People ask that all, like, how do you do, how do you, how do you bear rejection all the time? Because mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I had an audition in ages and I went in for a big audition for something I'm not going to say and I didn't mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, it's just not, you're not really the right. And it was just cold dash of water. And I was like, oh, okay, here we are again. And maybe people, if there's some young people listening to this and they might think, oh, Gavin has two Tony nominations or won that award over in England or... You know, Rory O'Malley was nominated for a star-making turn in one of the biggest musicals ever written. The original company member, they have it all figured. No. No. It's never... Julia Roberts sits, even though she gets all these scripts, most of them suck, probably. <laughs> and she sits and wonders, I just want to be taken seriously as an actress that can do X, Y, Z. Oh. Or, you know, n nobody is sitting there going, this is just a honeypot. Right. Jennifer Lawrence is having a great moment right now, and she's really super talented, and I enjoy watching what she's up to. But it just becomes, once you get to the quote-unquote top, then it's just, okay, now what? More of the same. And, right. you know, it's, I've never met an actor at any part of their career who was like, no worries here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, and, and, and you know, it, you have to embrace that struggle because that is part of the artistic struggle. Like that is the business and, and keep trying to create great arts, trying to be a part of great art is part of what the, the struggle is and which is what makes it so great when it comes about. So when you get that show, when you get that role or you get to be a part of something, you really appreciate it. And mm -hmm. that's probably, you know, why people are, you know, so many people get into this business because of the high that it is when you yeah. get that job, when you get that role. And the... the They're chasing that. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. The inverse is also a great example, a sad example, is like the young megastardom Britney Spears of the world who are handed... All of it, very quick. Justin Bieber. I mean, how many times? How many more examples do we need of super famous, super talented, but overly yesed mm -hmm. and overly um, rewarded and 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 privileged? I guess is a way to say it. Young people who unravel because mm -hmm. to just have something to look forward to. That to sorry, I got something. Right. <coughs> it's all right. He has to call out. <coughs> Out. He's out. <coughs> Maybe I need an M&M. &M. That'll help. I'll suck on an M&M. &M. Do you want water? I'm good. I got the tea. Um, what kind of tea is this? You said it's your favorite. Oh my gosh. It's Mighty Leaf Chamomile Citrus Tea. It's so good. It's so good. The tea bag looks like it's like Thanksgiving meal. You said tea bag. That's funny. <laughs> 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 I'm never going to. Oh, I mean, yeah. I turned 40 in April. I'll never grow up. I, didn't, I thought you were 39. I know, right now. <laughs> oh, I mean, you're off. 1976, baby. I'm a bicentennial baby. Wow. I was born on Easter morning on, 1976. in 1976. Wow. 200th anniversary of our wonderful country, America. So our country is 240. Oh my gosh, yeah. I never thought of that. Ten years from now, we're going to have to like throw a party. 250, that's Oh, it's going to be a big pretty one. big. Yeah. Um... So, I, I really, I appreciate your honesty about, about like, the difficulties of, of where it is, no matter where you are. I think that's so important, because... Can I fill in a blank here? Yeah, please. 25, 24, I got cast in Millie. Right. Um, 20, on my 26th birthday was opening night mm -hmm. of, you know, I'm 40 now, mm -hmm. well, I'm 39 now, so in those 13 years... I've had pockets of un severe unemployment. Uh -huh. I ran out of money after my first two Broadway shows. Um, I, I went and after the second Broadway show, which you think you're on Broadway, you're making all this money or whatever. <clears throat> I decided to go to LA because nothing was happening for me in New York. And I was like, right. screw it, I'll go and do a pilot season. I went way too late. It was not, it was sort of a bust. I came back and I had $5,000 huh. to my name. I moved to the city in 1998 right. with $3,000. Right. Like, it's the reality of what it was. Like, I don't, I, I haven't kept working consistently because I, 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 I am not, I guess, picky, snobby, privileged, I don't know what, fickle. But I have done jobs I'm really excited about and then I've waited. 
mm. and done little jobs and wrote songs and, and done play readings with my friends and started organizations, whatever. But try not to say yes to something just because I need to say yes to it. That's a luxury I've had, but also mm -hmm. that's because I learned how to save well. But I ran out of money again at the perfect time that Mary Poppins came along. And I was hell-bent on There's nothing else on the horizon. And I was like, I'm going to get this. I can do this. I know how to be Dick Van Dyke, Burt, and Mary Poppins. I, I was in the room when you were auditioning for that. You were? Yes. We Haven't we talked about this? <coughs> what do you mean? I was auditioning. <coughs> I was coming from L.A., I wasn't even living here yet. And I was in the waiting room, uh, oh waiting to gosh. audition. Oh my God. You, I, you, we didn't even talk. I, you were auditioning on the stage, and they were, I think they were maybe doing choreography with you. I don't know. But you were like running back, probably not, but it was with. Uh, Ashley the whole, Brown. Yeah. 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 So you were like running back off stage, and like I remember them being like, Gavin, do you need anything to drink? Do you need anything to eat? And then they like come over to me like, yeah, buddy, you're going to have to wait another oh, yeah, couple right. hours. Yeah, right. So I was like, anything? Okay, I'll be fine. It was my birthday again. Oh, yeah, that it was probably, yeah. Like second, third day was my birthday. They got me a cupcake. I just thought, I knew so many people on the panel. I thought this is it. I didn't get it. I didn't get the job. Huh. It was for the Broadway production, and they just didn't, they didn't think I was British enough or old enough to do it. And then uh -huh. they called them two days later and said, would you do it in London? And I was like, how did I get old enough all of a sudden and British enough right. to go do it there? And it was, it was a smart decision on their part. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm literally dying. Um, uh, to put one American in an entirely British company, I right. will absorb their energy and the speech patterns and right. I, love, I loved it. But that was after me running out of money and then here, go do it in London. And I was, I honestly, Rory said, I'm going to do this job and then I'm going to quit. I'm going to do something else. I got to get a new, I, I'm tired of going up and down and up and down. And I was 30 years old. Right. And then I got the fire back and I came back from that and I auditioned for Godspell and Catch Me If You Can and I wanted Catch Me If You Can and I, I was like, I'll audition for Godspell too because maybe I might like it. Got Catch Me If You Can so didn't happen and Godspell did and then that did not, you know, so it's like right. there were pockets of time. But if Godspell had happened, you would have done... I wouldn't have done hair. And hair led me to you, led mm -hmm. me to getting political, led me to coming out of the closet professionally in, a, in, mm -hmm. in the press, taking full ownership of my power as a human being, expanding my, my talent bowl or whatever you want to call it, my ability to embrace the... break a fourth wall and crawl all over people. And that's, that's scary, you know, and, and, and also... I just, it, hair completely changed who I am as a person on and off stage. It's to this day, it's my absolute cherished theatrical experience. Um, I don't know that I'll ever have one that, that is so magical to me like that. They're all, I've loved each of them differently, but it, it's just that example of like, it, even when it's shite, it will work out the way it is meant to. And sometimes that involves taking the courageous step to ask yourself, is this really making me happy? Do I really want to be doing this? Right. And that's a scary question to ask. And I ask, I've asked myself that again and again. Mm. I ask it less seriously now, but I'm still, I'm going, you know, I don't have eight shows a week. I could never do three and a half more years of the Book of Mormon. I, my body couldn't take it. And I'm not that old, but it, it, I think it's important to, to be mindful of listening. It's The Alchemist, one of the best books I've ever read. Mm. And it's like, you got to follow the omens. Sometimes they're within you and sometimes it's, what's going on outside of you? What do you, what do you really want? What is your personal legend is what Paolo Coelho calls it. And, the, and then outside of you, what is the world kind of ushering your way? Right. I wanted to be a pop singer for like 10 years. I was trying so hard to do that, make that happen. That wasn't what the world was calling for me. It was calling for me to, if I'm going to have power, it's going to be in teaching. It's mm. going to be in performing on the musical, in the musical theater stage. Mm. It's going to be in meeting friends of mine and speaking my truth so that more people can hear there's a room for people like me and like you out there. Uh, I... If I just concentrated on performing, I wouldn't have found out any of this stuff. 
I wouldn't have asked questions of myself, my soul. I wouldn't have looked to my friends for inspiration or guidance. I just would have stared at a Tony Award until I got my hands on it. And <clears throat> what do you have when you have that? You have like a $75 statue that spins. Like, it's not right. worth it. Right. It's not going to, it's just going to be another thing that doesn't fulfill you in the way that you thought it would yeah. be. Yeah. If you don't have everything else to back it up. Yeah. In life. What, what are your everythings? Like, what are your. Gerald. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, it's just, it's, uh, you know, my husband and, and starting a family. And, you know, that, that, that just seems to be so much more important than anything else but right now. But I police that. That is also a pressure that you put on this unborn and non-existent child. Yeah. Yeah. That I think even child, children, even true love, even a marriage, even, you know... Whatever it is that we want in our lives, I have to remind myself that getting that thing that I don't have yet isn't going to make me... Right. Ah, now I have it. There's right. never a sense of, yeah. I have it all now, I can just relax. Right. It doesn't come. No, things don't come into your life that can make you happy if you can't just make yourself happy in the present moment. And that's easy for us to say because I think you and I are optimistic hardworking and generally happy people. There are people out there who cannot see their way to say that sentence. Right. And that's, I don't want to sound better than them. I don't want to sound like when we say that, it's impossible for them to hear or it. Or that it's not still a challenge Oh my for gosh, us. no. You know, oh I, gosh. I feel like that's my challenge every day, is to try and stay present, to try and stay grateful and happy. Yeah. So obvious to say. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to remind yourself, unless you practice it, Right. That it actually is true. You know? Yeah. I, I, absolutely. It's, it makes it sound oversimplified and, in a but, way. And in a way, it is. Right. It is really simple. Right. But you can't... It's the great... Okay, if we're going to go back to a Hallmark card saying, hmm. to someone who has run a marathon, from someone who never will, because mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine the pain... But like... No, actually, I think maybe someday. That would be really kind of amazing. You should. I might. I might we'll see. But you ran a marathon. If you had thought about mile 26 on your first day of training, you never would have run it. No. And in the beginning, you're probably all well, you worth think about mile it. 26. You think about it, but if you would have known what it feels like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And no, getting to the end and, the, and, and then the pain. And the, but, like, th I can't imagine that the sense of accomplishment that you must have felt on getting to that finish line. I know right. it's pain. Mike Seleski, yeah. our stage manager at Book of Mormon, Fractured yeah. his leg at mile 15 and finished the, the 11 miles later. Finished it. Oh my god, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and he was on crutches for two weeks, but he was like, <laughs> I'm gonna finish this. Yeah, I can, I can imagine you but, wanting to do that, but that's but when you be But so when you did it across the finish line, did you have like a great, were you so proud of yourself? Yeah, but it's funny, you know, it's like with anything, you can be proud, but you are exhausted or you know, just like overwhelmed. And for me, I had to walk back to my apartment because I couldn't get a damn cab. <laughs> so I was like, real, that was actually harder getting oh, back to my apartment. So than, much pain. Yeah, I was in so much pain. Like I couldn't, I couldn't walk. It was really, really bad. But, um, but yeah, I mean, then you, you know, shower, get something to eat. And it's insane because I remember telling somebody that I wanted to run a marathon probably like, eight years before that and they laughed at me and I was like oh I guess they're right and I didn't do it you know I was like it, it was it's one of those things that you you say you want to do something and you, you when you put it out there you can't let other people no. tell you that's not who you are because if you've <laughs> said it if you've thought it then it's who you are it's mm -hmm. what you want and you have to put it out there in the world and you know I think that that's true as an artist, if especially, is that you have to keep defining who you are as an artist and not let other people do it for you. But it's your idea. You had the idea right. to run a marathon, yeah. and eight years later you did it. Right. But that seed of the idea was, uh, that's it, you lit the, you lit the coal, mm -hmm. it's never going to stop burning until, no. or you will lose the desire to do it, mm -hmm. and then you'll not do it. That's I live by, my my black and white is... I will get everything that I want, 
or the other side of it is I will lose the wanting. I will just not want it anymore and it won't matter. Right. But if I still want it, whatever it is, then I will get it. Right. And if the pursuit of it exhausts me and then I go, I don't want it anymore, then I did it still. I still pursued it. Right. You know, I don't regret any song I've written. I don't regret any concert I did. Well, I'm probably sure there's a couple in there. It was kind of crappy, but like, <laughs> but I they really... got you to the next one. Yeah, I really enjoyed... And you can't, just like fame the musical, it may not be the best musical ever written. It gave a lot of people joy. It put me in touch with amazing producers and great creative team and incredible cast and crew that I got to work with. Really talented people at a very young age. Got to see the country. But if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have met the people in that who later on, you know, that's the best advice probably that I could give or say or practice is treat everybody with the respect that you would be treated. That's the golden rule. Mm -hmm. Because in this business, it is tiny. Right. You know, like, your dresser, if you're, even for a second, you treat your dresser with a little bit of disrespect, that puts a seed of an idea in their head about you. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to undo. That dresser someday is gonna be the associate costume designer for some off-Broadway thing. And then that's gonna be the biggest hit of the off-Broadway season. They'll transfer it to Broadway, that dresser then is made the associate costume designer on Broadway. And the next thing you know, that costume designer is, um, that associate costume designer is then asked to go out and help the costume designer in a thing in, in England. And then it goes to the West End. You know, the next thing you know, they're Anne Roth. And they've got six Oscars and 12 Emmys. And Oh my God, Anne Roth was your dresser? Yeah, she, she dressed me. <laughs> Did you know that Anne Roth actually came back to Mormon and dressed me for no <laughs> Could you imagine if Anne Roth was like, That would Gavin, be a dream. Get in here. Because you know, like, you would end up doing everything and she would just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> she, totally. And then she, she'd be like, you look stupid. Yeah. She, Anne her. Roth is our... She's uh, the greatest. She would, come, she would come into costume fittings and be like, okay, put this on now. And I put it on. All right, Gavin. We, we were in London and she was like, oh, hi. Yeah. Well, it's nice to see you here. And like, just, just <laughs> so dry. So, so dry. So, like, amazing and over it at the same time. Yeah. You know? But she's Yet done it all. And still working. And still working. Yeah. And I think that it's almost like this attitude of, like, she's like, love me or, or not, but this is the work. And, you and the know, work is impeccable. I, and the work is impeccable. Yeah. It's amazing. Did you see um, Margaret Pierce? Is that what it was called? Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce, yeah. Oh, she, she designed that. Yeah. No, I mean, she's, it, she's the world they created for amazing. that. Amazing. Oh my god. No, she's amazing. So good. Um, what I also want to ask you about because we talked about London a little bit. You have spent three years of your life. Almost four. Almost four. Mm -hmm. Wow. In London, mm -hmm. and you've spent a lot of time on the road over yeah. the years. Yeah. So you have, and you've lived in eight different places in New York City. So you've had to move a lot for your craft, for your art. Yeah. And how do you think that's affected your life? And, um, you know, is it, what are the positive parts? The negative? life side, I got to see Italy, Germany, Spain, right. um, England, so beautiful. All these country, uh, states in, in, what is this place called again? The United States the of America. The USA. Yeah, the USA. Yeah. I got to go to Canada. I got to, you know, that, as far as life goes, I got to see so many places and experience so many different cultures and foods and mm -hmm. um, meet so many different people. That's amazing. That plus, um, I got to live, like truly live in England. Like, right. that was my house. That was my address. Yeah. Even though it was always, I always in the back of my head knew it was temporary, the mm -hmm. job. I, I lived there and I went back and then I went back again yeah. and I'll probably go back again at some point. The only downside I can say is the impermanence of it. Um, having, I turned 30 and when I turned 30 I went to Mary Poppins for 19 months and then came back for like a year and a half and then went back for six months for hair. Then came back for like a year and a half for two years and then went back for another 19 months for... So of my 30s up till I was 38 I spent almost half of them in another country. And as far as my friends go, my friends were having babies and then their second babies and I wasn't meeting their children and I was watching them on grow up in that way. And 
I sort of felt like the business has always been lovely to me in the musical theater industry and everything, but I started to not feel, I didn't know where I belonged, really belonged. I never really loved New York mm. until now. Um, and I sort of felt like London couldn't really claim me permanently because I wasn't going to move, I never made an intention to move there permanently. So it only showed me so much of its love, and it did, and it was amazing. But I felt like after this last with Mormon, I felt like I didn't belong anywhere, and that was the worst part of it. And I got really homesick, and it's so embarrassing to say that as 38 years old, I was homesick, and I missed, I just missed, but I did. I was really lonely, and kind of felt like I really couldn't nurture a real proper relationship if I wasn't going to stay in one place and I was asking the universe to show me that kind of love or relationship and w what could it possibly show me if I wasn't going to make the commitment to staying put? How could I be sad that my friends were feeling like they were going on without me and I didn't know much about their lives if I wasn't going to be on social media? <laughs> and I also wasn't going to be a part of their lives and invest in their life and be able to come over for dinner parties. So that was the hardest part. But I definitely think the joy outweighed the, any of the pain. It's just I knew that it was time for me to come home at the end of Mormon because mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I don't want to resent this amazing city, which is, is, I mean, London is my second home. Yeah. I know that city really well, and I know the people, and I could tell you the best places to go for the best day trip ever, and mm -hmm. I love, love it there, and I like, fiercely love the people. But I'm an American. I'm a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel real blessed to to call myself a New Yorker, you know? Right. What do they say? You have to live here for 10 years before you can really call yourself a New Yorker or something oh, like God. that. God. Who said that? I've heard that before. Actually, I, I got here uh, in 2006 and I posted on MySpace. Oh my gosh. I'm a new, I'm officially a New Yorker and I had all these people like, you can't call yourself a New Yorker. Totally. You just got here today. I was like, oh God, you know. So I don't believe in that. If you're here, you're a New Yorker for the weekend. <laughs> if you can get on the subway and get off and survive, I'll tell you're you when you're, I'll tell you when you're a New Yorker is when you know where to get on the subway car so that when the door opens, the right. stairs are right there. Right. If you, that, is, that is true. At, at many of the different stops. If you walk through Times Square and you don't look up once and you don't notice what's not, going on. I'm not a New Yorker. Cause I, still, <laughs> I still am like, holy crap. I still can't believe. I was walking around today. We had a break from She Loves Me rehearsal and I was like, I'm going to go walk around. Make a cup, of, a cup of tea or something at one of the diners. But... I found myself in the vortex that is Times Square, which I yeah. don't love. I don't. It's right. there's so there's so not great New York spots to go. Just park your right. keister and just like have a cup of tea. Like the Cafe Edison is gone. I would have yeah. gone over there, mm -hmm. but it is there is no other Times Square. You know, like mm -hmm. sometimes I'll, I'll I'll stand in it and I'll go. This is it. Yeah. Every person in the world knows. Well, not everybody, but most everybody knows about Times Square. Right. It's like, it definitely feels like an epicenter. Yeah. It may not be where you want to be every yeah. day, but it is an epicenter of of culture. And, and energy. And energy and yeah. so many things, yeah. And advertising. Yeah, and advertising, <laughs> but also of, of our dream, you know, yeah. of what we kind of grew up in Ohio dreaming about. And oh, it's, it's what about the TKTS stairs, which I think is just the greatest thing that yeah. they ever put. Because those, I feel, are our stairs. Right. You know what I mean in this yeah. business. In this business, yeah. A lot of a lot of people who don't will never go see a Broadway show will go and sit in it just to sit in the middle of Times Square. Right. But there is a place where you can go and sit on those red stairs, and those are that is our business. Right. You're sitting on top of the TKTS booth. You're sitting on our business, sir. Yeah. Get your ass off. <laughs> <our business. laughs> I love I I love that and and. For every person who listens to this, who goes to school, who dreams about coming here, first of all, know that you don't live in Times Square. <laughs> That's not where you're going to live, so don't be scared by it. But there is a there is an an infinite number of possibilities, and that's what I love about New York. And it can it can be the greatest thing and also the most overwhelming thing. Mm. Because there would be times when I first got here, I just like I just don't want to leave my apartment because there's so much out there that I don't know. The thing that I would say to everybody who comes here to pursue it, we have to remember that New York, and I'm talking about Manhattan primarily, 
which is where our business is. It is just a slab of rock that's about two and a half miles wide. I think it's two and a half miles, yeah. isn't it? Mm -hmm. That is a river here and a river there. It is finite. On the other side is Jersey and Brooklyn and Queens. And I had to remind myself that like when I get out of the subway, it doesn't just go on forever. And there's not an endless, it's not endless. There's no endlessness to it. Right. It's finite. The Bronx is here. The Battery Park is here. Staten Island is here. The rivers are here. It is, and even smaller is our, what, 10, 11, 12, 13 block radius right. or stretch of where yeah. our Broadway theaters mm -hmm. are. It's not, it's not something that is, is, that needs to overwhelm you. Right. But in the beginning, it'll be overwhelming. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, thanks for talking. With oh, me. I love it. This is really it. interesting to talk to somebody that you know so well. I know. But I feel like I learned a lot about you. Oh, good. Thanks. Yes. Um, Sorry about the coughing jag and my dog. Yeah, I wish you could see him right now, everybody, because he's right now, he's just he's sat been put to sleep by our conversation. Yeah, he's like, this is boring. Yeah. I hope you haven't. <laughs> he yeah. loves Rory. I tell you, my dog is finicky and doesn't like some people, but my God. He's a good boy. I told him you were coming. And he knows your name. No. Yeah, I swear. So when when the door when he was sitting there, I said, "It can be Rory." Do you see Rory? No, he's not getting up. No, he's asleep. Wally, Wally, you want to say hi to Rory? Nope. No. That's <laughs> all right. That's all right. He loves you, hi. and I love you. Hi. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.